0: your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to kick off in the first seven verses there, and that's going to be our focus, our landing spot this morning. I've entitled my message this morning being imitators of God. Imitators of God. I don't know about you, I don't know if it's the anointing, adrenaline, or caffeine from drinking 20 ounces of coffee, but I just feel the presence of God this morning. I feel something here right now. And so I'm excited to, to preach. Actually, all week, Lisa and I have just enjoyed time together, time in God's presence, time being renewed. And so I'm excited this morning to look at Ephesians chapter 5. So far, we've learned in Ephesians, in the first three chapters You know, the book is divided into kind of two groups. The first three chapters have to do with our identity, who we are in Christ. If You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then Paul shares through the first three chapters all the things that are a part of that that have to do with our identity. The last um, part, the second segment, chapters four through six, talk about what we're supposed to do now because of what Christ has done for us. How we're supposed to live out this new identity. Ephesians 1.5 says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Everything that Matt talked about this morning with communion. He predestined for us adoption to Himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to to the purpose of his will god adopted us into his family we are king's kids and we didn't do anything to deserve it it was a free gift it was grace and how many does this make you excited this morning you should be excited this morning and appreciative of all that that god through his son has afforded to us his children and life just keeps getting better and better for all of eternity I you'd be a little bit more excited than that. <laughs> Come on, Aggie, get off the chair. And sit down and behave. I want to share this morning, as Christ followers, we don't live a different lifestyle because we are saved. But we live a different... We don't live a different lifestyle to be saved, but we live a different lifestyle because we are saved. So we don't live differently to be saved, but we live differently because we are saved. If there isn't any lifestyle change after accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, that may mean that you never trusted Him in the first place. Because committing our life to Christ means a change of lifestyle. It means we live a different lifestyle because we are saved. This morning's message is about being imitators of God, and I would like to begin my message by sharing from a book by G.K. Beale. a little portion of this book. It says, the title is, We Become What We Worship. And Mr. Beale, in his book says, when my two daughters, Hannah and Nancy, were about two or three years old, I noticed how they intimid- intimidated imitated, and reflected my wife and me. They cooked, fed and disciplined their stuffed animals and dolls the way my wife cooked, fed and disciplined them. They gave play medicine to their dolls just the way we fed them real medicine. Our daughters also prayed with their stuffed animals and dolls the way we prayed with them. They talked on their toy telephone in the same kind of Texas accent that my wife uses when she talks on the phone. Did Bailey do that, John? (laughs) Most people, I'm sure, have seen this with children, but children only begin what we continue to do as adults. We imitate. Most people can think back to junior high, high school, or even college, when they were in a group and to one degree or another, whether consciously or subconsciously, They reflected and resembled that peer group. All of us, even adults, reflect what we are around. We reflect things in our culture and society. And he goes on to say this, and the principle is this, what we revere, we resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. To commit ourselves to some part of creation more than the creator is idolatry. And when we worship something in creation, we become like it, as spiritually lifeless and insensitive to God as a piece of wood, rock, or stone. Beale's point is this, that our worship and our affections right now are indicators of our future trajectory. Our worship and our affections right now are indicators of our future trajectory. Our worship is either aimed at our destruction or our worship is aimed at our restoration, but it's aimed in either case. We are becoming what we worship. And today's message is an important one because we live in a sex-obsessed, idol-worshiping culture that is fighting against us and our children each and every day. In the areas of sex and idolatry, the American culture is very similar to first century AD in Ephesus. Ephesus was the home of the Temple of Artemis. The Temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the world. Artemis was a female deity that was sexually orientated in her worship. Ephesus made Vegas look clean. It was also a city that was filthy rich, like America. What God inspired Paul to write to the Ephesians in this chapter is very applicable to the church today and our American culture. This is something that each of us must listen to and heed. Why don't you stand with me as we read Ephesians chapter 5 in the first seven verses? Paul writes to the Ephesian believers. And imagine Paul writing this to our church today. says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. You may be seated. So Paul starts off Ephesians 5 and verse 1 with the word therefore. And each time in scripture, when you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is it therefore? What's it referring back to? We look back at Ephesians 4, verse 32, Paul says there, but, but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. He then opens Ephesians 5 by telling us that since God has been kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to us, we should imitate him and do the same to others. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved. Children. Beloved children, all the things that we talked about that are ours as Paul describes them in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. We're loved by God, therefore we must imitate Him. I want you to think about how children imitate their parents for a moment. As I've already stated with the illustration from G.K. Beale's book, it's a proven fact of life that children learn how to live their lives by imitating their parents and sadly they pick up our good habits and i mean not sadly that they pick up our good habits but sadly they pick up our bad habits too there's a lot of times where you know you watch your kids and you're like wow i see me and them or i see my wife and them you know they're imitating they're mimicking my actions um whether good or bad. The old saying, do as I say, not as I do, it doesn't work. A man by the name of James Baldwin once said, children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. Think about this concept in your own life. You know, try to picture in your own mind right now a person that you really admire. It could be your parents. It could be someone who has had a great influence on your life. Usually, these people are the ones that we truly take the time to reflect or mimic different things um, about them. So, as you picture this person in your mind, isn't it true that you made it at least partially your goal to be like them in some way? You know the saying, like father, like son, or like mother, like daughter. You know, it amazes me. I'll come home and we'll have like a a different cuisine, and I'll see. Alyssa in the kitchen, you know, making um, something awesome for our family, and I'm like, she got that from Lisa. Or I see Josh's pursuit after business and entrepreneurialism and and, um, just going after God and wanting to be a witness um, through that, and I say, he's got, he got that passion from his dad. Um, I was, I don't want to leave Caden out. He's like, he's the redhead, he doesn't look like in either one of us. He's athletic, he's, he's fast, he runs. I'm like, I've never ran unless I was running from a fire or a dog or something like that. You'll have to catch me later, I'll tell you about the story where a dog chased me right off of a cliff on my bike and ended up wrecking my bike. Just know this, it wasn't a big dog either. It was tiny, but I didn't turn around to look. I just heard the bark. (laughs) So anyway, this last summer, I'm out in the backyard. And I look over, and Caden has his riding lawnmower with the deck of the lawnmower detached, laying on the ground. He's got the oil cap off. He's draining the oil. And I'm like freaking out, because I'm like, I'm going to have to be the one that puts us all back together. And I have no clue. And so I'm like, Caden, what are you doing with the deck off the mower? Mate, we, we can rent a trailer and take it to Farm and Fleet if it needs that. You know, like, I'd rather do that than have this mess and oil. He's like, Dad, don't worry about it. I know what I'm doing. I'm like, how do you know what you're doing? I have no mechanical ability whatsoever. And he's like, Dad, I just got off the phone with Steve. And he told me exactly what I need to do. I can put it back together. And so it's not just your parents that you mimic or imitate. It's other influencers in your life. And I'm thankful that my children have um, people that they can look up to and imitate good qualities from. We all need that in the church. So if you see Caden do anything with tools or any of my kids for that sake, they didn't get it from me. They got it from Steve. So just as children tend to imitate their parents or other influencers, Paul is calling us here to imitate the only one whose life is truly worth imitating every part. He's calling us to be imitators of God, and the great thing about God is that he doesn't have any bad habits. He's perfect. He doesn't make any mistakes. So he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Then in verse 2, he says, learn to walk in love. Walking in love is a lifestyle that is characterized by being kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving of one another, as chapter 4, verse 32 said. And he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And you might be thinking, what is a fragrant offering? offering and sacrifice to God what is Paul talking about here and he's looking back and pulling from the Old Testament the first five chapters of the book of Leviticus that describes five offerings commanded by God for the atoning or the covering of sin and it's only the first three of the five that are sweet smelling or a fragrant offering or a sweet aroma to God they were the burnt offering the meal or grain offering and the peace offering And each of them had something to do with sacrifice of an animal, whether it be a bull, a goat, a sheep, or a dove, or the sacrifice um, consisting of a grain or meal, wine, or incense. But in either case, one of these items was sacrificed upon the altar to atone or to serve, like I said, as a covering for sin, for the people's sins. And as the fire consumed it, the aroma was pleasing to God. It was showing that the people were asking for forgiveness for their sins. They were repenting of their sins. It appointed to Jesus on the cross as that perfect sacrifice to atone for the sins of all humankind. And so likewise, as God's children, we are called to imitate Jesus and give of ourselves to be that offering and to die to ourselves to be that sacrifice. Why? Because there is no walking in love without some degree of dying to ourselves. I had a perfect illustration of this this past week. Lisa and I were together and there were a group of ladies that was sitting next to us and their, conger- their conversation was just filled with F-bombs and I don't give an S and talking about sexual promiscuity and you could tell they were just feeding on one one another and they were just trying to outdo one another and you know they were dropping um, crude jokes you know uh, and jest and, and trying to you know just for the sake of a laugh or the sake of trying to get a reaction from one another and it just continued and it was so vulgar and it was so nasty and it was so sad. And then, yesterday, we were sitting by another group of ladies, and this time, I looked over at them, and I saw this girl responding to the um, gal in front of her, whatever they were talking about, and, and, you know, you could just see, like, empathy on someone's face, their facial expressions, and it was like, she was really into and in tune with what that woman was saying. And she was listening. And she was caring about that person. And the person was responding again with care towards her. And you got in close and you listen. And I told Lisa, I said, I bet you those two gals are Christians. And Lisa said, I was thinking the same thing. And you get listening to their conversation. You could hear that they were talking about their faith. And you contrast those two groups of gals, right? the ones who were sitting there with the vulgar speech trying to outdo one another, talking about nasty stuff and vulgar and cursing to where this other group, this two gals who were over here, empathetic towards one another, sharing and listening to one another. Which one do you think was the sweetest aroma, sweetest smelling fragrance? See, Ephesus was like our culture in America. Do you know that the Temple of Artemis was like the largest bank in the city? They had what was called sacred prostitution. To satisfy the gods, they made money off of this debauchery. It was a port city. It was rich. It was the crossroads. There was money to be made from all this type of filth. And so, if you can just picture Paul sharing this to the Ephesians believers and saying, you who are now in Christ are different. You're called to be different, to be imitators of God, to be a sweet-smelling aroma to him and to one another. And that's why... You need to heed this message this morning. Our lives have to be different. And as I think about that, I think about you know, our calling as the church. And let's even boil it down to our calling as a local church. As we link arms with other churches and believers in the city, we need to reach a point of critical mass where we begin to influence the culture of our city. That's the only way we're going to see a difference. That's the only way we're going to see a difference. We can't be like, in this case, they couldn't be like Ephesus. We can't be like our city either. We have to be different. And this brings me to verse 3. It says, but among you there must not even be a hint. Not even a hint. Not even just a little bit of sexual immorality or in any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Paul saying you can't be like the rest of the people in Ephesus. He rented a lecture hall. He set up shop. He was being the church. And he was saying to these new believers who were surrounded by just evil, you must be different. You must be imitators of God. There can't even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. You can't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. You must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're God's holy people now. Be holy as he is holy. He's saying this is not our identity as children of God. Have you ever heard your parents say, this isn't how, you know, fill in your last name, Acts? Like, don't disgrace the family name. My dad would say, this is not how a race acts. Paul is saying this is not the way a child of God acts. Don't disgrace God's name. Paul mentions three things in this verse that shouldn't be, there shouldn't even be a hint of in believers' lives. And the first one is sexual immorality. It comes from the Greek word pornea, where we get our English word pornography. But it's much more than that. It has to do with, it's basically any sexual activity that goes beyond the boundaries of God's will for marriage. Oneness between one man and In one woman in the biblical confines of marriage. Anything outside of those boundaries is immorality. The second one that he talks about here is impurity. And this has to do with physical uncleanness and also moral uncleanness. In the moral sense, it talks about a lifestyle that is self-seeking to be self-seeking, about being impure. And the third one is greed or covetousness. I laugh at this one because our culture is great at feeding on this one. You know, think about Apple. Every fall, for years, they came out with a new iPhone, right? to feed off of that desire for that need for greed that we have in our culture. The last couple of years, Apple's released three new iPhones each year, wanting us to covet, because they know we have a desire to covet new things. The Bible says, do not covet. Proverbs twenty-seven twenty says, death and the grave are never satisfied and neither are we what it all boils down to is greed or covetousness is sin and idolatry because we're putting our security and our identity in things instead of God and God's a jealous God let's look at verse four it says let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving I used to read that, and I used to think Paul was saying, you can't have any fun anymore, <laughs> you know. You have to be quiet like a church mouse and just all prim and proper. And, and I was like, man, I'm in trouble because if you know me at all, I like to joke and I like to laugh. And he's saying here, don't let there be any filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. They're not befitting a child of God. The first word, filthiness, means obscenity, and it talks about swearing or profanity or talking inappropriately about sexual topics. Then he goes on to foolish talk, and I love the Greek word for foolish talk here. It's moros. It's where we get our English word moron. So Paul's basically saying, don't be a moron with your words. Don't be a moron with your words. Because our words reflect what's in our hearts, right? Right? And if Christ is in our hearts, then a sign of that should be uplifting and right speech. And finally, what should my speech be? Paul says it should be one of thanksgiving. Because you were dead in your sins. You were on your way to hell. But, but Christ, but Christ gave his life for us. So he says here, and whatever you do in Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you say, well, what about the tough times? And Paul says, give thanks. Even in the midst of your trials, even in the midst of your sickness, even in the midst of financial loss, even in the midst of bad days, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. My mom used to always say whenever I was down, she would say, you know what, I could pack you up in the car right now and take you over to the children's hospital and walk down the halls of the hospital and we could duck in and visit some of those kids who have cancer, who are dying from some type of disease, and she said, or you can just... Sit here and be thankful and count your own blessings. See, amazingly, many times when we are thankful with our lips, God uses the testimony of thanksgiving from our own mouths to change our hearts. So Paul says this is the key. Get rid of the filthy talk, the crude joking, the filthiness, the jest, The swearing, the cursing, the obscenities. And be thankful. Count your blessings. And you say, why should I take this seriously? Verse 5 tells us why. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. And you might be thinking, I thought I was saved by grace through faith and not by what I do. And that is true. We are saved by grace. But the evidence of that grace in our lives is a progressive working out of that sanctification. It's not perfection in these areas, but it's a progression towards. It's setting that you know, standard high and pushing ourselves forward toward it. let stand this morning as I read the last two verses. This is a strong warning from Paul. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you. Don't be deceived. Therefore, do not become partners with them, If you think back to Numbers 25, there was Balak there, the Moabite king. And the story of Israel, Israel coming out of Egypt, and they passed through the land of Moab, and Balak, the Moab, Moabite king, knew he couldn't beat God's people because God always fought for the Israelites. So his plan was to not fight against them, but he sent these Moabite women into the Israelite camp to seduce the Israelite men. And the Balak's plan worked, and as God's men, they were to be different from the nations around them. They were to be sexually pure. But because the men gave into the seduction of the Moabite women, God's anger broke out against them, and he sent a plague, and twenty four thousand people died. Every leader who sinned with the Moabite women was put to death and their bodies hung in broad daylight for everyone to see. The point is this this morning. Don't be deceived. God takes sexual purity seriously. As as God's children, we are called to holiness, not uncleanness. We're to be called to holiness in our spirits in our souls, our mind, our will, and our emotions, and in our physical body. We have to be clean outside and inside. Our words must be clean. Our thoughts must be clean. Our actions must be clean. That is God's will for his children, that we be holy and clean as he is holy. And he's calling us this morning to imitate him. So, Father, we just pray right now So everyone's eyes are shut and heads bowed. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your challenge this morning. You're calling us to be different, to be set apart, to be imitators of you. Not to be conformed to this culture, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. To walk in a different direction than those around us. To have a different trajectory that we're aiming towards. Lord, we want this for us. We want this for our children. We want this for our city. We want this for our nation. We want this for our world. And for that to happen, Lord, we have to first be different ourselves. Because people are watching us. So I pray this morning that your church would not be deceived, Lord, but heed this warning to live holy lives, separated, clean, not just looking holy on the outside, but dead on the inside. May our lives be a fragrant and sweet aroma to you, Lord. invite you to